As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. If you're not yet a subscriber to The Athletic, now's the time with our best offer ever. Sign up today and you'll pay just £1 a month for the next six months, giving you unrivaled insight and analysis of everything Euro 2020 and taking you well into the new Premier League season two. The Athletic is the only place you can read pieces by award-winning writers like Michael Cox, Rafa Honigstein, Amy Lawrence and Daniel Taylor. And when you subscribe, you'll also get ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts from across its audio network. Head to theathletic.com slash totally and become a subscriber today for six quid until the end of the year. That's theathletic.com slash totally. Good afternoon, passengers. This is a pre-boarding announcement for flight 899. Please have your boarding pass and identification ready. Budapest, Copenhagen, Roma, London. Unbelievable. Totally football show at the Euros on a wild, weird, and wonderful Wednesday as Group WTF does the drama and the goals rain down in Group E. We're talking Ronaldo's records, Benzema's back, Germany's grit and Hungarian heartbreak. Meanwhile, Spain shellac Slovaks in Sevilla and Paul Poles push off. Plus, we reflect on the group stages and look ahead to Saturday's last 16 ties. This is the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Well, for the last time at Euro 2020, it's me, Matt, at the wheel. Back for more backside cracks is Daniel Story. <laughs> no thanks, yes. Hi, Matt. <laughs> And ticking the box marked athletic contributor is the great Adam Crafton. Hi, Adam. Hello. Thank you for having me again. Welcome back. Well, what a Wednesday. Goals galore in Group E and more twists and turns in the roads of Birmingham in Group F. Uh, Let's get straight to it. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Group F then, it finished like this. France in first, Germany second, Portugal third and Hungary fourth. Adam, it changed quite a lot during the course of the, what, couple of hours uh, that the games were held over. Uh, What a fun night of international football, first of all. 
It was so much fun. And I think it was like, there was always this sense that Germany were going to go through. Um, but like, we all just really enjoyed this pretense, even though it went really, really late into the game. You know, I thought the referee in, in the Portugal-France game was so much fun. Um, just like giving penalties out, left, right and centre. I wasn't really sure if at least two of them were penalties, but it was all quite fun. Ronaldo turned up, Pogba turned up, Benzema turned up. We thought we were going to be able to laugh at Germany. In the end, we laughed at Hungary instead. So all in all, it was a really, really um, great night of football. Before we get to the specifics of the game, Daniel, it is Germany for England. It was Portugal, then it was Hungary. I think it was even France for a little bit. Uh, how do you feel about that now, based on, on what you've seen from Germany over, over the last three games? I mean, there are two different questions, how I feel about it now and how I feel about it, having watched Germany over the last few games. I think we're kind of hardwired to be, well, most of us are hardwired to be seeming to be pessimistic about the England team anyway, but we're certainly hardwired to feel this kind of internal deep angst about playing Germany in an international tournament. And there are very good reasons for doing that in all of our lifetimes. But this Germany side is 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 not what it has been. And unless you think they're suddenly going to click into the no- in the knockout stages, which they have done in the past before, this is as bad a group stage performance outside of about a half an hour period against Portugal as they were in 2018. Um, but they have gone through this time because of the because they could just about save themselves. Uh, England should have no fear, and I don't think England will have any fear. That Southgate is a a kind of mix of both cautious and very level headed, and he'll be telling them that there's there's no reason to you know give them too much respect. Well, let's start our look back on Wednesday's games with that match in Munich. Then Germany coming within ten minutes of elimination in the group stages for the second successive tournament. Twice they trailed to Hungary, but Leon Goretzka's late leveller ensured Joachim Löw's reign will last at least one more game. Shall I had Hungary ahead early on? At that point, they were through. Mid Platz, and there is Soloi with the 0 to 1. Ungarn jetzt im Achtelfinale. Deutschland raus. Die Ungarn, wie 54, ganz früh vorn. Took Germany until the 66th minute to level courtesy of Kai Havertz, but Hungary went straight up the other end and regained the lead only for Goretzka to rescue Germany. Goretzka, Werner schießt und dann Leon Goretzka! Leon Goretzka nach seinem Muskelfaserriss hat er 17 Minuten gegen Portugal gespielt und jetzt rettet er Deutschland! Before we get into the madness, here's the Athletics' Raphael Honigstein with his post-match thoughts. Germany that barely deserved a 2-2 draw. They really struggled to play any sort of coherent football. Joachim Löw trying lots of different things, trying on lots of different subs, lots of different formations, but end product was pretty, pretty poor. Germany defensively looked shaky, conceded two very bad goals, scored one very lucky goal, and then a moment of individual class from Jamal Musiala, the 18 year substitute, and Leon Goretzka, by meaning midfielder, managed to get them that point to get them over the line. But this was not a confidence inspiring performance. The only positive thing you might take away from that is the fact that they will arrive at Wembley very much the underdog. Everyone will feel that this Germany team is there for the taking, right or so. Raphael Honigstein there. 
Uh, Dan, you were keeping a close eye on this one. Was this Germany bad, Hungary good, bit of both? It was certainly Germany bad. Um, Hungary have been pretty much the same in every game they've played this tournament, which is they set up incredibly defensively, but they have this, they seem to be able to be very, very clever at picking the right moments to surge players forward. We saw Attila Fiola do that against France out of out of seemingly nowhere. Their second goal tonight and that France goal reminded me of Stuart Dallas against Manchester City last season, where you just think, well, they're just defending here. They're not interested in doing anything else. And then suddenly someone surges forward. And they've done that twice in this tournament against good teams. So so good on them for that. But Germany was so wasteful. They just, just kept crossing the ball into the box, which is exactly what Hungary wanted them to do. And... Um, yeah, eventually the pressure told, the sheer weight of, of pressure told. But Leroy Sané was poor. I don't think he'll start against England. And there are problems for that Germany side. Who's the real Germany, Adam? The one we saw against Portugal or the one we got tonight? Um, we could probably go halfway in between and say the one we saw against France, which, you know, I, I didn't, th- to be fair, I still don't think they were that bad in that game. Um, I thought, you know, I thought they were okay to a certain point, but struggled to break through. I think with the England game, it's a massive cliche, but I think it will come down to if England can get the first goal because, you know, it's a really young group of players with England. I think if they were to get the first goal, get the crowd even more behind them, they could, I think they'd be able to protect that lead quite well. If they were to fall behind, I'd worry about them, particularly with the pace that Germany, well, if they play players such as Gnabry and Sane and Havertz have on the counter-attack, I would worry about that as England try and find a way back into the game and it's you know it's what what's the real Germany what's the real England we don't really know yet as well we've, you know we've had one good performance we've had one really quite poor performance then we had one against the Czech Republic that was good for 20 minutes and then just sort of Englandy at tournaments for the rest of it so you know I, I don't think Germany will be going into this with any great fear either and that, I think that's what makes it such a compelling um, early knockout fixture. We'll talk about Hungary off the pitch a little bit later, but Daniel, we ought to give them some credit for what they've done here. To to come within 10 minutes of qualifying from a group like this and to hold the world champions and draw with Germany in their own backyard is is way better than, than we expected them to do, or certainly I expected them to do. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I I, I feared tonight for them that, that away from Budapest for for better and for worse, as you say, we'll, we'll talk about that later, but um, there's no doubt that those supporters make a difference. And I, I feared for them leaving that scenario and having to, to go to Munich. But firstly, their supporters were louder than Germany's anyway, the, the few that made it into the stadium. And secondly, they didn't really change the way they play. They're incredibly combative in midfield. Klein Hazler's had a, a fantastic tournament in, in midfield. He's one who looks like he could potentially get a, a decent enough move. And they they're also very efficient, you know. They, I can only remember them really having four or five shots in the two full games I've watched of them, and they probably, you know, they scored three of them. But I I suspect it helped them to have a group like this that they could kind of go in without any fear and just 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 play exactly as they wanted to because they are they are resolute, they're resilient, they are um, exactly built in Marco Rossi's image. But yeah, I mean, fantastic tournament, but. Given what we will talk about later, I can't say I'm hugely saddened that they aren't going through. So that was 1-2-2 in Group F. Uh, the other one was played out between Portugal and France in Budapest. 
Uh, Adam, we, we kind of fear in tournaments the the games where it becomes a carve-up on the last day of the tournament. Oh, we both need a point to get what we want, so we'll do that. That that wasn't how this game played out. It was it was kind of bonkers. It was kind of fun. There were some pretty questionable penalties given, and Ronaldo broke another record. Yeah, and, and you know, there's times you watch Portugal and you go into it thinking, you know, as a journalist... Oh, wouldn't it be nice to do a good piece about Bernardo Silva or João Moutinho coming in for a start? And then you just watch Ronaldo and he's just... This, I mean, there's no words really left, are there? And it just... He, t- he takes your breath away with the impact he is still able to have on games. And he was also... He was playing almost on the left wing for quite a lot of the first half um, and defending and tracking back. And his commitment and how much he seems to care... Um, even having achieved everything he does, it is is genuinely extraordinary, uh, both on an individual and collective level tonight. Portugal were really good, I thought, first half. Better side, France didn't really turn up. They obviously got the lucky break with the penalty with the equaliser. Second half, France were a lot better. Pogba was excellent in the second half. Uh, Benzema came more into the picture. But yeah, on balance, it was it was you know a fair result. And I'm not sure how, what were the two sides of the draw. They're on the same side, aren't they, of the draw now, France and Portugal? Mm. Um, yeah. So yeah, I was going to say I was going to say it would make a great final, um, but that definitely won't be the case. <laughs> Didn't make a great one in 2016. Um, in no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the first penalty was interesting, Daniel, in this game. So Hugo Lloris goes to punch the ball, ends up punching Danilo right in the in the mush as well, as producer Abby said, uh, Lennox Lloris. But you don't often see those given. Uh, Jermaine Gina seemed to think that it would be a free kick on any other part of the pitch. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a clear penalty, isn't it? But but interesting to see this one given straight away. I mean, I, I am very up for seeing a goalkeeper flying out so far at his goal that anywhere else on the pitch is, is not just <laughs> in his own penalty area. But yeah, I mean, it, it, I, I thought it was a penalty right up until I saw the final angle and then that made me doubt myself. Um, but I, I do think goalkeepers get away with a lot of that sort of thing when they just come through and it seems to be as long as they're aiming for the ball, then you know, all bets are off. They can do what they want. So, yeah, I I, I was far less aggrieved with that one than the first French penalty. Uh, yeah, as Mbappe goes down under something approaching contact from Nelson Semedo. And and because of that, even though the penalty maybe shouldn't have stood, Adam, we, we ended one of the kind of tedious discussions that's going on around this tournament of Karim Benzema not scoring for France. And then he goes and gets the other one as well. So even if they're, they're nowhere near their best at the moment, that alone feels like a significant thing to have happened tonight that Benzema is back amongst the goal. La bon ballon à la profondeur, c'est pour Karim Benzema et ça fait deux. Il est bon. Appel dans la profondeur. Yeah, and uh, you just sort of have this sense watching them that however badly they were playing, they just have so many players capable of producing these ridiculous moments. I mean, Pogba's pass for Benzema's um, second goal was out of this world, um, and Pogba hadn't really done anything um, for the first half. Renato Sanchez had run the midfield. And I think that's the risk with France. You know, I mean, you, I was watching them in the first half thinking, well, you know what? If England have to play them, we might actually be okay here. But then they just have so many players with Mbappe and Benzema and Griezmann and Pogba that you just can't relax um, against them. And they sort of lure you into this false sense of security. I still, you know, I still think they're very vulnerable because they don't, they don't, they don't just, they don't sort of scream out fear and, and, and terror in their general play. It's just these moments that they're capable of and obviously moments when you win your matches. 
Daniel, would you rather be in, in the position of the teams who've qualified from this group in that you've had really difficult games in the group stages so you should be nicely tuned or would you rather be like England and have barely left third gear and have more to come? Uh, I'll be shameless and sit on the fence and say <laughs> a little bit of both because um, I think there's certainly benefits to to how England have played and I'm sure that one of the reasons that, that Gareth Southgate has instructed them to play that way is because things are going to get harder and England are going to have to be able to control games. I think that was noticeable in the first half against the Czech Republic that we were brighter but we also ceded more control and there is a clear benefit to playing hard hard games early but if I'm if I'm a team like Germany, I'm thinking, well, we've played really well in one game, we've played okay and lost another, we've played badly and drawn another. I don't think it, it necessarily gives you anything, partly because there's another six days until you play again. So I think effectively the group stage goes completely out of your mind if you're one of the last teams to play in the last 16. Eh? Look, if, if, you've, if you've gained some momentum in the group stage, if you're Italy, clearly you're going to tell yourselves it makes a difference. Clearly you're going to say this puts us in a position that we can kick on from here. But I think it only makes a difference if you want it to. Yeah, I, I think it's really interesting the point you say about control because, I don't know, I mean, watching England last night, I mean, a lot of people after the game have been speaking about control and game management and efficiency and all these sort of buzzwords that you get around tournaments. And... I don't know. I just didn't really see that in the first half last night. I mean, I saw Czech Republic have quite a few decent chances. Jordan Pickford had to make quite a few saves. There was a couple of near misses. You know, we weren't playing against a top side last night. And I just, you know, in the second half, I think they were a lot better at it. But on on the other hand, didn't really offer anything. Yeah, Um, that's it, isn't it? We we haven't got the balance right at all in this tournament yet, have we? No, and I just, I just... You know, Gareth Southgate's been talking for quite a long time now, you know, basically saying he's been preparing for the past 18 months for one of these big fixtures, you know, when England eventually have to play France or Germany or Portugal, whoever it may be. And we we, we, we really will see the fruit of that because, you know, I, I appreciate what you said at the start about, you know, we all sort of enjoy knocking England to a certain to a certain extent at tournaments, but also... What we don't want is to just sort of let a really good opportunity against what doesn't look like a fantastic German side pass us by because we're trying to control a game when we're actually not sure yet if we're capable of doing that and we still have a lot of attacking talent. So, yeah, I agree with the balance, but I do want England to offer more and not to make you know those last half hour of games feel like 90 minutes. It would be also nice if rather than hitting the post in the first 10 minutes of a game, <laughs> we can actually take that chance because all three of those games would, I mean, massive cliche, but they'd be so different if one of those goals goes in, wouldn't they? Uh, now, listener, you might think that this chat about France versus Portugal has been a little bit England heavy. Well, <laughs> let's redress the balance there somewhat, shall we? We've got our resident French flag waver, Julian Laurent, available. He left us this voicemail on the Totally Burner. <laughs> What a game tonight in uh, in Budapest. We had, I thought, a lot of everything. We had Cristiano, of course, and his records. Uh, and and on French point of view, I thought we had um, a slow start. Once again, I think physically, they were still a bit leggy because of all the fitness work that they did prior to the tournament that will hopefully pay off from the last 16 onwards. But they were much better in the second half. I thought they were really commanding. They were quite impressive. They could easily have won that game in the second half if if Koundé didn't make a mistake for the the second penalty and if Patricio doesn't save uh, that wonderful strike from Pogba or if the referee gives that penalty at the end uh, from Bruno on on Coman because I thought that was probably the the biggest penalty shot of the three to be fair 
but France were certainly, I thought, in control in that in that second half. Pogba was fantastic. Him and Conte are still yet to lose when they start together for the for the national team. And and I think despite the injury of Ding, that is maybe not so good news. But I think they will set up the French very well for um, for the rest of the tournament and the knockout stages. Now playing against. Um, Against against Switzerland, and we saw Karim Benzema finally scoring again uh, two goals. He had to wait for so long. There was so much pressure on him, and I think again that will be one of the um, the big positives to take away from tonight. Julian Laurent there. Uh, France did have a 100% record when Karim Benzema had scored for them before Wednesday night. Those Ronaldo records, by the way, he's drawn level with Ali Dia as the all-time top scorer in international footballer and he's pulled clear of Miroslav Klose as the player with the most goals combined at World Cups and European Championships. So that was Group F. Earlier on, Group E played out its final games. We'll discuss those next. The Euros are here, and we'd better make the most of them because they only come around every four, uh, five years. So if your bookie isn't making you feel special, then maybe it's time to find a new one. Yep, not so much carpe diem as carpadium. <laughs> if the grass is greener on the other side, come and play on it. If your bookie's not giving you the best rewards, switch. And if one leg of your four plus fold bet builder lets you down, get money back as a free bet on all games this Euros. Paddy power. Pretty much only max free bet £10. Excludes enhanced match odds. Minods 1 to 5 on exclusive T's and C's apply. 18 plus pickandler.org. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. This is how it finished in Group E then. Sweden first, Spain second, and then Slovakia and Poland both eliminated. And Slovakia, well, they went out in style, didn't they? Remember Spain? More passes than a UEFA delegate and equally as incisive. Well, not on Wednesday. La Roja hit five past, sorry, Slovakia to blast their way through to the last 16. Uh, after the obligatory penalty miss, that's five in a row now for the Spanish, Martin Dubravka inexplicably palmed the ball into his own net. He's Eric Laporte, added a second in first half stoppage time with Spain scoring thrice more after the restart. We've got to start with that own goal, Adam, because it's right up there with the greatest moments of the tournament. And I'm sure it wasn't just David Marshall who was absolutely delighted to see another keeper (laughs) uh, make a fool of themselves in that manner. No, there's been some great own goals in this tournament. I mean, even the one later on in the game um, was also a little bit weird. And there was the Ruben Ruben Diaz one the other day. And there was the Mats Hummels one, which was also quite, quite Sunday League in its execution. So, yeah, great fun. And Spain... I don't know. I think I, Ali McCoy was spending most of the first half saying, you know, oh, they're getting the result, but they're not 
really turning it on and then all of a sudden they turned it on and you know my initial after two games hot take of Spain look a bit shit, um <laughs> is now being turned on its head and Spain are dark horses um for for the tournament um, but actually when you look through their team you know both on paper and now watching them as well like there is a huge amount of talent you know the young talent coming through in that defense with Pau Torres and Laporte um, and a good a good amount of experience as well around the midfield with Koke and uh, Jordi Alba as Pelicueta played today. Unai Simon looks quite solid in goal. It all just hinges a little bit on the increasingly sort of sensitive and vulnerable Alvaro Morata. And I think as Gary Neville said today on ITV, you do just sort of want to give him a cuddle most of the time and tell him it's all going to be okay because he's really struggling and he really needs that goal. But the thing is, even if he gets that goal, you don't necessarily back him to then go and score four or five more. You just sort of think it will be the next wave of trauma uh, for for Alvaro Morata. Uh, Daniel, the, Luis Enrique made four changes for this game as Piliqueta, Garcia, Busquets and Sarabia are all coming in. Was that what made the difference here for them or, or were Slovakia just absolutely dreadful? They were dreadful. Uh, I mean, in, in, in their slight mitigation, although major tournaments don't come around that often, that they had effectively given up at half-time. The second half was was going through the motions and because Spain wanted to do more than that to, to give themselves a boost that they, they easily did it. But yeah, I mean, I feel a little, I always feel a little bit for part of the re- the reason this format annoys me is that I end up feeling sympathy for the third place teams who, who don't go through uh, and having beaten Poland, I kind of feel for Slovakia because they they were in a difficult group in which they were, uh, I think probably comfortably before the tournament that, uh, the team that had the lowest expectations and yet they did win a game in in surprise circumstances and yet that wasn't enough so I felt a little bit of sympathy for them but they they were wretched second half and didn't deserve anything more today. Adam you said Spain could be dark horses what are you thinking semi-finals potentially now for them? Yeah I mean I think there's a lot of you know I look at sort of Belgium, Spain, Germany, Portugal I don't see a huge amount of difference at this stage you know, England as well, I'd sort of bunch in that. I, 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 you know, it's only really sort of France and Italy that I would say have been either outstanding or you know they have the potential to really be outstanding. So Spain, yeah, I mean, if they if they get going and continue to, and build on the confidence that they that they had tonight, you know, they've got, obviously got a manager as well who is probably, you know, the most talented coach at the tournament. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they develop. Uh, yeah, and they'll have the bonus of not having to play on that sandpit in Sevilla <laughs> in their next game. They play Croatia in Copenhagen on Monday. Uh, whilst we're talking about Sevilla, according to the La Liga club's president, Jose Castro, Julen Lopetegui is the latest man to turn his nose up at the Spurs job. Castro said of Lopetegui he had received offers, he'd not listened to them, which is which is a burn. Um, don't worry, listener, if you haven't had your call from Daniel Levy yet, new slots are opening up all the time and, and booking couldn't be easier, etc., etc. Uh, the other game in Group E, Thriller Minute Sweden. You heard it right, listener. The Scandinavians shared a five-goal humdinger with Poland in St. Petersburg. Victor Klaassen with the decisive strike deep into stoppage time. Emil Forsberg uh, got the other Sweden goals with Robert Lewandowski bagging a brace for the Poles who exit the competition as a result of this defeat. Daniel, five goals here, but I really want to start by talking about Robert Lewandowski hitting the crossbar twice in the same chance, which was up there with the Dubravka own goal for for moment of the day. I was gonna, I was gonna compare them those two actually because Dubravka saves a penalty and still probably is the worst player on the pitch in the first half. Lewandowski misses some horrendous chances and yet 
hauls Poland back into the game with two brilliant Lewandowski-style goals. Yeah, I mean, Poland only started playing when they had no choice but to, um, which, to my mind, doesn't deserve an awful lot of credit. Yes, you got yourselves back into the game and ultimately fell short, but where was that in, in your other games? I, I love Emil Forsberg to me. He's the He's been one of my standout stars of the tournament. He, every time you watch him, he either seems to be on the ball or screaming to receive the ball in space. I know RB Leipzig are not a a small club by any means anymore and have a habit of producing players that all the bad boys want. And I wonder if he's the next, maybe the next cab off that rank. He looks, he's so high energy that he looks made for big club football, I think. And, and as for Sweden, Adam, they play Ukraine in the last 16. They'll fancy their chances in that, given what we've seen from, from both of those sides so far. They were, and, you know, apart from that sort of uh, helter-skelter period towards the end of the game, they were, they were solid again otherwise. And, you know, they're not going to be playing many strikes as good as, Rob, as Robert Lewandowski as they go along. Um, I think they'll be an awkward opponent for anyone. I think that if England were to beat Germany, they'd play them, wouldn't they, in the quarterfinal potentially. So I think that's going to be... I think they're an interesting team to follow. I don't think they are. I'm not calling them dark horses as well, but I think they're a team that you know you will have to go the slog with to overcome them. You know, they're a team you beat by a single goal. They might take you to extra time or penalties. They're hard work, and they seem to have a good spirit about them. Daniel, where next for for Paolo Sosa? I'm <laughs> thinking maybe a little spell at Maccabi Haifa or or Krasnodar or the Barnsley jobs just about to come up. Yeah, the trick is to manage to pick a club that he's not already spent nine months at, isn't it? That's the <laughs> that's the hard bit. Uh, yeah, such an eclectic. I like it though. He reminds me of uh, I think I said on this show before. He reminds me of those those managers that pops up at the African Cup of Nations, and you remember him from six years ago, and you can't quite remember why. So. I mean, let's not tempt fate, Matt. He, knowing him and Forrest, he could well be our manager in six <laughs> months' time as well. Yeah, I'm, 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 yeah, I'm convinced he's already managed. Has he not managed Nottingham Forest? No. <laughs> no. But in fairness, people think that about so many managers. <laughs> <laughs> so we now know what the last 16 lineup is. Uh, Saturday, Wales versus Denmark and Italy-Austria. We'll, we'll go into a bit more detail on those games later. Sunday, Netherlands against Czech Republic and Belgium against Portugal. That ought to be good. Then on Monday, it's Croatia, Spain and France versus Switzerland. Before Tuesday, see Sweden play Ukraine. And yet yeah, between now and then, I'm afraid there are going to be lots of references to 1966, to 1996, to the Second World War, to all sorts of unhelpful things. Because it is England versus Germany and it will be on the BBC, which I don't know, kind of feels right. Abby's put good news here. I think that's because of... England's terrible record with ITV. But yeah, good news is in the BBC. Uh, let's get to some news that's broken over the last 24 hours or so. According to reports in Germany, the Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban cancelled a visit to Munich to watch tonight's game after Germany and 13 other EU states condemned the Hungarian law that bans portraying homosexuality to under-18s. Adam, you've been covering this for The Athletic. Can you give us a brief rundown as to as to how all this has unfolded? Yeah, um, where do you start? Um, best place to start is probably last Tuesday when Hungary played against Portugal in the first group game of Euro 2020 for, for, for those teams. And during, the, and during that game, there was banners in the stand that just simply read anti 
LGBT, and I think there was also some chants as well that were reported against Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, and then what it, this also coincided with being the same day that the Hungarian parliament um, had passed a pretty damaging bill which bans support, supportive resources for children in schools. Um, it bans representation for LGBT people in, telev- in television shows aimed at the under-18 age group. It's, it is essentially, I suppose for British listeners, a, a equivalent to a certain extent of Section 28, um, but probably far more damaging than that in the sense that, you know, this, this bill was also tacked on to a separate child abuse bill, therefore sort of conflating homosexuality with paedophilia. So all sorts of damaging tropes going on and against a backdrop of rising homophobia in Hungary with gay people or same-sex couples not allowed uh, to marry, to adopt children and having their rights and the general environment sort of stripped away from them. Um, So that was the backdrop. And then you were sort of waiting for UEFA to take some action over what had happened in in one of their host stadiums. Um, and for several days, there, was, there wasn't a response. It took them until Sunday. There was instances, again, on Saturday that were reported. And then on Sunday afternoon, UEFA put out a statement to say that they had appointed an ethics inspector to, to look into the, to, to, to the incident. But then came another report from Germany, which, which was really quite bizarre, that Manuel Neuer had been wearing a rainbow-coloured armband uh, during the tournament to mark... Uh, the Global Month of Pride, and it appeared that UEFA were investigating whether this was acceptable. And they spent, you know, I, I believe a couple of days looking into that before eventually deciding it was, in fact, a good thing. But they, they did a lot of damage, I think, in that time in terms of public trust and confidence with the way that the news developed. Does that take you far enough? Into yeah, it? I think yeah. so. And Daniel, you can you can pick up from there because you've been writing about this from from the game on Wednesday night, and we we saw a, a protester come onto the pitch during the during the national anthems. During the Hungarian anthem, yes, um, with a, a a kind of huge rainbow banner, there were sellers outside the ground selling little rainbow flags, and and supporters were invited to wear, you know, rainbow socks and rainbow masks and you know, kind of just make it a a celebration, answer, you know, answer hate with love, which is exactly the right response, particularly as as UEFA rejected the request for for the alliance to be lit up with with, with the rainbow lights. And I thought the, the, the best moment of the night for me was Leon Goretzka scoring the winner and then forming a heart shape with his hands and going up to the Hungarian fans and just holding, you know, holding up his hands as a heart to them as they kind of sat dejected in the stands, which, you know, I... I, I, I'm not trying to, you know, it's not it's not necessarily the Hungarian players' fault. In fact, it might not be the Hungarian players' fault at all. But unfortunately, when your supporters behave like that, it it, it removes so much goodwill that any apparent neutral might have towards your football team. That I was I thoroughly enjoyed Goretzka scoring and him doing that celebration. No, it's actually. I mean, the point you make about the Hungarian players is interesting. I mean, the goalkeeper Peter Galaxy has actually you know, publicly made statements in support of LGBT people in Hungary in recent years. And actually, there was major polling that was done um, to mark Pride this year across, across the world. And I think it was you know, an increase in 17% in Hungary, actually, in general public support of same-sex, same-sex marriage. I think similar rise as well um, for adoption for same-sex couples. So there is a distinction here between you know, the the majority, uh, not necessarily the majority, but a growing number, a trend 
a positive trend in Hungary amongst the general population and the actions of a government. And I think that needs to be distinguished between. And then, and then the other part of it is that, you know, UEFA just have this incredibly close relationship with a number of Eastern European presidents or prime ministers who have really questionable records on uh, human rights, but particularly on on LGBT rights. We've seen this with awarding things to uh, Belarus, to Poland, to Hungary, to Russia, to back, uh, to Azerbaijan. And I think most people don't have an issue with these countries receiving receiving events because you have to try and grow the game. That's UEFA's job. You have to try and grow the game across Europe. But I think what is strange is that UEFA seem utterly unwilling to challenge in any way whatsoever the homophobia that is that is creating an unwelcome environment for LGBT supporters and you know any players who may at some stage wish to be visibly um, gay, both in the men's in the men's and women's game. And I think that's where the challenge is. You know, there's a lot of meetings between UEFA and people like Vladimir Putin. You know, there's pictures of Alexander Seferin, the UEFA president, having meetings with Vladimir Putin, watching games with Viktor Orban. So, you know, I think the issue is that UEFA has demonstrated absolutely no stomach for a fight um, or, you know, when when they have this equal game vision um, to actually make those pledges match up with their actions. Um, and we saw that again with a statement on on Wednesday when they they just sort of said that they you know they really support the rainbow until it becomes a little bit problematic to countries who may not like it and that was the nub of the statement and it was very disappointing. They, they seem to have UEFA seem to have this be under this misguided notion that by apparently pretending to protect to stay neutral on these issues that 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 neutrality or attempted neutrality is the right thing whereas history shows us that if you are if if you are neutral in a in a situation where someone is being oppressed then you're effectively standing on the side of the oppressor even if it's deliberate or not because that's that's that that's the air it gives and when you are an organization where like uefa where everything you do has a, a PR knock-on effect and has a lasting impact. They they must know better than that. Hmm. I, I do think there's a there's a broader issue which I suppose goes in as well to, to the whole the whole debate around taking the knee, which is that to take people on a journey with them, people who may not have agreed, minority groups have have often said things like taking the knee or um, the rainbow lights, for example, are, are not political. And unfortunately, that's just bollocks. I mean, it's bollocks in the sense that, you know, when you take the knee, you are standing up against decades, centuries of a society that's being governed in a way that, that is unfair towards certain minority groups. And and yeah, absolutely. If, if Germany would have lit up the stadium in response um, to legislation passed in, Hunga- in the Hungarian parliament, then of course that's political. And I think we all have to be sort of a little bit more honest and stop pretending that these things aren't political and actually just ask those people who proclaim, you know, to want to have an equal game and create opportunities for all and be fair to actually be honest about that and have the courage to say this is political, but this is what we believe. Lots more on that in uh, Adam's excellent piece on The Athletic, athletic.com slash totally the place to go to sign up if you aren't currently a subscriber. Uh, away from the Euros, a police officer has been found guilty of the manslaughter of the former Aston Villa striker Dalian Atkinson. Atkinson died after a standoff with West Mercia police officers outside his father's home in Telford back in 2016. Benjamin Monk was cleared at Birmingham Crown Court of an alternative charge of murder. The trial heard he tasered Atkinson for 33 seconds and kicked him twice in the head. 
Uh, in far less serious news, Man United have upped their offer for Jadon Sancho. It's thought the Dortmund winger's performances at Euro 2020 have convinced United he's worth the extra cash. Uh, the Guardian are reporting that Crystal Palace are close to appointing Lucien Favre as their manager. What do you make of that, Daniel? I, uh, there was reports that, that Palace were in talks, but that there was an offer from an, another English club, which I think we have to assume is Everton. And if Palace do get Favre over the line... Everton better pull something out of the bag and impress me with who they appoint because if 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 they have ostensibly allowed him to join Palace and and then make a different appointment and a, a more questionable appointment, I'd be pulling my hair out of her as an Everton fan. I think Favre is a, a brilliant appointment for Palace. Yeah, we've all got Euros fever at the moment, but it won't be long before the Premier League season gets underway, and we've currently got Everton, Palace, and Spurs all without managers at the time of recording. Right, it's a busy old pod today. We'll preview Saturday's Euro games next. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with Matt Davis-Adams. As we're here and we aren't potting again till Saturday night, we may as well have a quick look ahead to the last 16 ties that are taking place on Saturday. Wales and Denmark face off in Amsterdam. Wales be like, are we the baddies? Totally's resident Welshman Tom Williams told us last night that this was the draw his team didn't want. Adam, I think maybe Denmark will be thinking the same thing, won't they? They're far easier options for them than, than a Wales team who've looked decent so far. It, yeah, I mean, until the England-Germany game was confirmed tonight, it was absolutely the game that I was most looking forward to. I'm super excited, I don't know why, but I'm just like very, very excited about Wales against Denmark. Um, I think they're quite well evenly matched. You know, I think, yeah, Denmark, obviously one of the stories of the tournament, the way that they've responded to the Christian Eriksen incident. And, and, and Wales, you know, they've got some fantastic players. And I think, you know, we talk about them a lot as as underdogs, and I think they are to a certain extent. But they've also got some super talented players with Gareth Bale and Aaron Ramsey and Daniel James. And they've got, you know, people like David Brooks and Harry Wilson um, in the squad as well. You know, I've really enjoyed, you know, I particularly enjoyed them against Turkey. Denmark were fantastic um, against Russia. I think that was like one of the highlights of the tournament so far. Uh, and I think both teams will fancy it. You know, it's a game that I think both teams will go into that thinking, you know, this is a really, really good opportunity for us. And we've sort of got away with it to a certain extent, not facing one of the really big, one of the really big nations. And I think for Denmark as well, it's been, 
you know, not only the Ericsson incident, but it's been the first time that they've had a tournament, I believe, in, in Denmark. Um, and there's been a real sort of sense of, fi- of fever around that. So I think they'll they'll be building on that. And it's going to be, you know, be tough for Wales, but they've got the quality to, to beat anyone, really. Daniel, any danger that, that Denmark suffer in the way that Scotland seemed to in their third group game, whereby they, they expend an incredible amount of physical and mental energy on their previous game and, and then the tank is empty by the time they get to the next match? Or is there is there long enough between games that that won't matter? I, I think they, they are such a, an exception because of, of how they have res, not just responded on the pitch after the, the Christian Eriksen incident, but also how it's kind of rallied the country together behind the team anyway. I ordinarily would have been worried um, about them not being in Copenhagen anymore and not having their supporters and also... Wales having already done the miles away from home thing in Baku that maybe they might feel a little bit more comfortable in Amsterdam but it sounds like the Danish supporters are going to be allowed to to Amsterdam for for the game so they will have a majority you know have far more supporters than Wales in and they will probably make it feel like a home game so I I just about make Denmark favourites but I completely agree with Adam this to me maybe Belgium Portugal we have to mention now after the way they've fallen tonight but the, other than the big team games, this is this is the one of the of the round for me. Uh, yeah, Danish fans allowed to travel, but only if they're in Amsterdam for less than twelve hours. They might be in the stadium for a while. Or usually, draws when these two teams meet, albeit Denmark won the most recent matches in the Nations League four one on aggregate back in twenty eighteen. Wales' last win in the fixture came in two thousand and eight. Gareth Bale and Aaron Ramsey. Both started that match. Ethan Ampadu won't start this one. He's suspended. Uh, one would assume that Kiefer Moore might come back into the starting lineup. After that match, it's Italy versus Austria at Wembley. This one, an eight o'clock kickoff. Italy leaving Rome and heading for London. They haven't got a good record at Wembley. Beaten by the Ivory Coast in 2010. Drew with Nigeria in 2013. Drew with the Republic of Ireland in 2014. And England in 2018. You remember their last win there, listener. It came in 1997. Gianfranco Zola got the goal. Conspiracy theories. Matt Letizier started for England. Uh, oh, Daniel, give me a reason why this is not just going to be a stroll for Italy and like a regulation 2-3-0 win. I, I, sadly, I can't think of enough off the top of my head. Um, I, I do think there's a, a, a danger that, that Italy have not peak too early because I, I think that that can happen, but that can also be a nonsense. It can also, as we mentioned earlier, it can be very helpful to get up to speed very quickly. But Austria will be dogged and determined. They haven't shown an awful lot of quality. I'm surprised that they got six points from their group, if I'm honest, although it was a uh, maybe one of the lesser groups. Um, but uh, no, I, I think Italy will will progress i'm afraid i th- i don't i think the only thing w- with italy is if they don't get an early goal if they don't start as quickly as they have in every game because every game has followed the same pattern and if austria are able to kind of just repel that initial surge of italy pressure then maybe they start to doubt themselves but on what we've seen that's going to be easier said than done it doesn't look a, a thrilling game on paper, Adam, but I quite, I, I quite like these kind of ties in the last 16 where you get one heavyweight and one team who's sort of blagged their way through to an extent because you think last 16, let's get rid of the likes of Austria and Ukraine and Switzerland and, and get down to the serious business. And that, that's surely what's going to happen here on Saturday. Yeah, it is penciled in as my one to skip um, <laughs> this, this weekend. Um, but also, 
I think you're right. You know, I don't want too many big teams playing each other over this, you know, over this next few days because you want fantastic quarterfinals and semi-finals and final. I, I would like to see Italy concede, concede a goal and have some sort of setback to deal with, just to get a sense of, you know, how they might respond to that. It's been a long, long time since they conceded a goal, and you just wonder, you know, if they were to go a goal down early on in that game, you know, just how how would they? react to that but really I mean they've they've looked fantastic so far and Austria you know I imagine the game plan will be to hang on for as long as they can and hope you know that a set piece or on out of it something happens but you know I'd be amazed if Italy don't go through yeah same uh, listener stick around we're going to be making our second set of rash conclusions next but first let's get some odds from Paddy Power and head over to Produce Ben Thank you very much, Matt Davis-Adams. I'm on the line with Carl Monaghan from Paddy Power. Carl, it is a rest day coming up tomorrow. So we're going to look ahead to the first of the last 16 games coming up after them. Wales, can they beat Denmark? I think they can. Um, four to one we are in Paddy Power about Wales beating the Danes. The draws 21 to 10. Denmark 17 to 20. Yes, yes, yes. We know the Danes were very impressive in their 4-1 win against Russia and a lot of emotion uh, happening as well with the whole Christian Eriksen uh, situation. Seems to have all uh, brought the Danes uh, together stronger as a unit. But a lot of uh, emotion takes it out of you. And uh, I just wonder, uh, will that catch up with the Danes as well? Listen, Wales of Gareth Bale, Ramsey and Daniel James, they have the weapons to win this match. A four to one is a big, big price. Wales were impressive against the Turks as well. And at four to one, I think it's a very good price. All right. On then to Austria versus Italy. Italy have looked absolutely sensational. They've got to be up there amongst the favourites. Um, but can Austria get a result here and shock the world? Listen here. Andy Ruiz beat Anthony Joshua, and that blew me away, um, of course. So shock's going to happen. And uh, the Italians are one to two here. Uh, they are the second favourites for the tournament, 11 to 2, and rightly so behind the French. Uh, the draw is 14 to 5, but it's a 6 to 1 shot, folks. 6 to 1, if you fancy the shock. The one thing going, of course, for Austria here is that we get to take Italy out of the Stadio Olimpico at Rome. Of course, that's an absolute fortress. And this uh, tough tackling Austria side have been good. They've only been beaten by that talented Dutch side uh, so far. So listen, stranger things have happened. Six to one, if you fancy what would be a massive shock, the biggest shock of the tournament. The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. Place a four plus fold bet builder on any football match and get money back as a free bet if one leg lets you down. Check paddypower.com for more details. £10 max free bet. T's and C's apply. 18 plus begambleaware.org. You can sign up for a subscription with The Athletic for unrivaled coverage of Euro 2020. All the articles, all the podcasts ad-free and Q&As with writers too. It's only a pound a month for your first six months. So head to theathletic.com slash totally. If you need more England chat in your life, there's the England show with Mark Chapman and friends to get you ready for the game against Germany. You can search for it wherever you get your podcasts. On this day, 24th of June 2004, England knocked out of the Euros by the gloveless Rui Patricio in a penalty shootout with Portugal. If you want to hear more about that story, the inimitable Ian McIntosh has you covered over on the Euro Stories feed. Here's a clip. Yes, and so once again to penalties. And up steps David Beckham. He missed, didn't he, with quite some aplomb. I mean, David Beckham taking that penalty first, I know that he's doing that because he's captain. But every England fan is thinking, don't be the first one to do this, not after what happened earlier on in the tournament. Oh, David Beckham. 
He did exactly the same thing in Turkey. It's a truly terrible penalty. And that's it. I, I actually shouted. That's it. It's over. It's over already. Rui Costa misses two, but when Portugal's goalkeeper saves Darius Vassell's penalty... Here goes Vassell. Oh, and Ricardo saved it. He decides that enough is enough and steps up to end the shootout himself. Had to hear all of that. Search for Euro Stories, available in all good pod shops. Before we end, uh, not-so-rash conclusions part two, or if you're under the age of 27, hot takes. These are more predictions than conclusions, I would say, but, you know, formatting. We said conclusions first time, so we'll do that again here. Who's going to win it, Daniel, from from what we've seen? Take a brave man not to say Italy or France. Yeah, incredibly boring as per, but um, I picked France at the start of the tournament and they haven't blown me away. They're the the kind of anti-Italy, I suppose, and Italy have started exactly as we expected them to and have have rolled on and France seemed to be just going through the gears maybe and holding things back and we haven't really even seen Kylian Mbappe to any great effect other than winning a, a slightly dodgy penalty. Uh, against Portugal. So, yeah, I'll stick with them as a kind of growers into the tournament. Adam, you going to drop a hot take bomb and say Ukraine? No, I think I said, I think when we last spoke, I said Portugal, England in the final, which is still on as, as a possibility. I'm going to stick with Portugal. I thought they were really good tonight. I'm a bit worried about what they did on Saturday against Germany. But other than that, uh, they've been pretty impressive. Maybe my rash conclusion is that neither Harry Kane nor Kylian Mbappe will score a goal at Euro 2020. Wow, you've got long odds on that at the start. Mm. Speaking of scoring goals, Daniel Ronaldo's got, what, one foot in the golden boot? That's all you'd need to get it, I suppose. <laughs> Maybe he's got one foot in, but he hasn't done the laces up yet. But he's got five goals is what I'm trying to say. Uh, he'll get a couple more penalties at least, so it's going to be tough to catch him. <laughs> That's done, isn't it? Um, yeah, I, I, th- I picked Lukaku at the start of the tournament because of the group stage and but if yeah if you if your team wins three penalties and you're as good at taking them as Cristiano Ronaldo and, and nobody else in the tournament seems to be able to take one uh that's one sizable foot forward so yeah I as long I mean as long as they don't lose to Belgium because I agree with Adam I think they've got a really good chance of doing something at this tournament but they've also landed now a run of of Belgium and then Italy, which is going to be, you know, they're going to win it the hard way, having played France and Germany in the groups. But um, yeah, uh, if they if they don't go out in the last sixteen, Ronaldo will get the golden boot. So it's basically looking at it, Adam. I think it's between Ronaldo and Lukaku is the only realistic challenger, isn't he? You'd be surprised if Patrick Schick got another three goals. Same for Forsberg, but you could see Lukaku getting a hat trick. Yeah, I mean, you're writing off Raheem Sterling as well, um, who has uh, who is England's only goal scorer. <laughs> Uh, two of our six shots on target so far and I'm here predicting the final Um, (laughs) yeah I think Lukaku has been fantastic Uh, I know the the opposition's not been you know so strong in Belgium's group with Finland and Denmark and um, Russia but his movement's been sensational he's drifted into that the, the right channel very effectively he looks really at the top of his game he looks fit he looks sharp Belgium Belgium are going to be really fascinating over the next week or so because yeah, we're not really sure where they're up to. You know, De Bruyne's come back looking looking good, but Hazard's well off it. Alex Witzel, we're not really, you know, he's only played one game so far um, in terms of, you know, starting a game after being out for several months. And the defence, Roberto Martinez is still playing a really high line with some really old and with some really old defenders, um, and also with Jason Denier, who I just don't really trust that much. 
But on the other hand, you know, they've got they've got match winners. I just and the, the doubt I have about Belgium is whether they will, you know, to quote Antonio Conte, be able to suffer in a game and resist, you know, when they're really under the cosh against a good side like Italy who press well and get in behind them. So, yeah, I mean, it, but it, the flip side is, you know, when you have De Bruyne and Lukaku in such good form, you do, you do half wonder if, like, maybe that will be just be enough. You know, when, when they are playing as well as they have in the glimpses we've seen of De Bruyne and Lukaku consistently over the three games, if they reach those levels, then Belgium have got a huge chance. What about the home nations, Daniel? Adam's got England pegged for a place in the final. Where do you see the uh, the tears, the heartbreak and the recrimination starting? The the honest answer, and, and it's a silly thing to say, is that I've got absolutely no idea because England-Germany is probably the one... If England had played France, I I would have or Portugal, I would really I would have feared for them because I think they'd have struggled against Ronaldo's kind of seize the world attitude and France's all round attacking play. But Germany, this Germany, I just have no idea. And Adam Adam said earlier in the show, you know, we haven't really don't know if we've seen the real Germany and we don't know if we've seen the real England and and we don't know if we'll see either of them in this game either. So I picked England to go out in the last 16 at the start of the tournament. I'm happy to predict it and be wrong again. (laughs) What about Wales, Adam? I'll I'll preface this by saying that some of my best friends and indeed my father are Welsh, but they've got to be happy just to have got through the group, haven't they? Given the fact that they've got their assistant manager in charge for one thing, and it wasn't an easy group that they managed to get through. Yeah, no, I mean, I think they've done really well in the the circumstance of losing their manager on the eve of the tournament, which we won't speak about. Um, uh, I think they've responded really well to that. And also the fact, you know, that they they went into um, that game against Turkey under quite a lot of pressure because they, weren't, they didn't really turn up against Switzerland. They got away with it. I think I had them to go out in the round of 16, but before the tournament, and I had Scotland to go out in the, quarter, in the quarterfinals, um, which has gone really well. I, I, I can't call that Denmark game at all. Denmark just sort of have this tidal wave of you know of emotion that's carrying them, and also they've got they've got some real quality as well. But yeah, Wales, I can't call that game. I'm just going to keep talking and rambling without being able to give an actual answer to that question. It will go. I think it will go into extra time. Really important, Daniel. I think that they have managed to get out of the group because they they missed out on qualification for the World Cup in 2018. You didn't want to just see Euro 2016 as this kind of beautiful blip. You know, they've got talented players. They've got this coaching system, which everybody who seems to do their pro license these days does it in Wales. So they're obviously doing mm. something right. And you, you want them to take advantage of that and, and keep this going for, for a tournament more or two. Yeah, because this generation is, is you know, to, without being too twee about it, is, is the Gary Speed generation. You know, this is the, the results of the legacy he created when he was Wales manager and, and wanted to create, you know, genuinely world-class training facilities that that Welsh football didn't have before. Um, But because they've got Bale and Ramsey now in with the young players, it's important they did something because they they need that to end on a high. You know, if if they don't qualify for the next World Cup, Gareth Bale probably won't play in the next Euros in 2024. I think that's fair to say. Aaron Ramsey, probably the same. So they needed to take on from, from the team that had... Ashley Williams and Chris Gunter and a kind of you could you could name ten of the starting eleven very easily. They needed to take that on because Bale and Ramsey are now setting the example for the next generation coming through for for Daniel James to, and, and players like that to do the same because 
Welsh football, Wales is not a big enough country that you'll have six or seven superstars. You will only have one or two if you're lucky. And you have to make the most of those and they have to lead the way. And I know I know, some England fans may think, well, it's another home nation, don't care about Wales. But unless you've got no soul or kind of no footballing soul, they're a good team to watch and they're a team you, you have a, an intrinsic affinity for and want to do well. And it's a shame that the kind of two, to my mind, the two real good news stories of this tournament have to play each other in the last 16, really. Yeah. I was talking to someone the other day who was saying, how could you possibly support a different home nation at a tournament? And I... I I'm very fond of all the home nations in football. I don't. I feel, I feel like I'm supporting an FA Cup underdog, which is really patronising, and it's probably the last thing they want to hear from an Englishman. But that's kind of how I feel when I'm watching Wales and Scotland at these tournaments. Um, I think it's very different to like all all English fans should should support Chelsea and Manchester City in the Champions League and cheer them on. I think it's a different vibe, and it's a different, certainly a different vibe to rugby, which we won't go into on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Quite right. Uh, right, that's the Euro stuff done. Finally, finally, though, that big-ass story we spoke about last night, which made Daniel cringe so, has caught fire on social media, uh, by which I mean lots of lovely listeners have sent us players with bum puns in the vague vicinity of their name. Very quickly, here's your listener, Bum11. Oh, my God. Harry Canis, Dean Windass, Patrick Van Arsholtz, Gabby Agbumlahor, Chike Ars, Carol Pabarski, David McCreary, Calvin Fullhips, John Bumstead, Asamoa Gian, and as everybody who got in contact with us pointed out, Poland's Timotez Pushaz, which when pronounced properly, sounds like Puhach. Did you say Calvin Fullhips? Yeah. I don't know who, who I mean, put that one in, but it's, um, yeah. Go and see a doctor, mate. <laughs> it's no Patrick Van Arsholt, that's for sure. Uh, so that is a wrap on the group stage. Thank you to Daniel, to Adam, to Rafa and to Jules for their contributions and to producer Abby for putting it all together. Jimbo's back for the knockouts. He'll be back on Saturday. Do join him if you can. But let's end with how the tournament sounded so far. Bye for now. In Group B, there's this Nordic thing between Denmark and Finland playing in their very first men's tournament ever. Extremely worrying scenes. Christian Eriksen collapsing on the pitch during Denmark's game against Finland. The Danish FA have tweeted a picture and a message from Christian Eriksen this morning, giving a thumbs up from his hospital bed. Fantastic news for you. Christian Eriksen has been discharged from hospital. Now the break might be on for Patrick Schick, and look what he's trying to do. Schick, oh! Look at the goal! It's a PlayStation goal. Simple as that. It's brilliant. Heeft daar Dumfries bij zich, maar Malen kan het zelf doen. Nee, Dumfries! De heer Denzel Dumfries! Kimmich Gozet! 4-2-1! Oh, Jozef Hans, de eerste van Dumfries! 2-1! 2-1! 2-1! 2-1! 2-1! 2-1! 2-1! 2-1! 2-1! 2-1! 2-1! 2-1! 2-1! 2-1! 2-1! 2-1! 2-1! 2-1! 2-1! 2-1! 2-1! 2-1! 2-1! 2-1! 2-1! 2-1! 2-1! 2-1! 2-1! 2-1! 2-1! 2-1! 2-1! 2-1! 2-1! 2-1! 2-1! 2-1! 2-1! 2-1! 2-1! 2-1! 2-1! 2-1! 2-1! 2-1! 2-1! 2-1! 2-1! 2-1! 
one, then two, then plays it into Sterling! That will do nicely! The Athletic.